This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's All-Ireland Final Preview Podcast. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. And Ken Early. Oh, how are you doing? Good to see you. Pretty good, Ken. You'll often hear the complaint. I know you're always on about this, Ken. We don't really get to know these top inter-county hurlers anymore. We don't read or hear too many truly revealing interviews with these guys. Yeah, they are unknowable, in a sense. Or are they? This is why I get very excited on All-Ireland Final Week when I come across a story like this one, told by Malachy Clerkin in today's Irish Times, about Patrick Bonner-Marr, the tip forward. And Mara's not really a man as such. He's, he's mostly machine. He's almost entirely. Yeah, he's uh, an army. He's an army dude. He, he does. He's, he can run all day. Cross and fit. then a little bit further. Superbly fit. The story here that uh, Malachy tells is that Mara's playing around with golf with his mates. The rest of them just lolling around in golf carts, being lazy. Mara carrying his own bag, which is fine. One of them, at one point, goes to give him a hand with the bag. Just getting out of a bunker or something like this, only to find it practically stuck to the ground. When well, they asked Mara, what, I mean, it was so heavy, the other guy couldn't lift it. He's, he's, what, what's in here? Bricks. <laughs> Mara carries bricks <coughs> around. He's building a wall. Well, no, he's just he's building, yeah, he is building a wall, and that wall is called Bonner Mara. Right, a yeah. wall of a... A mobile hurling wall of destruction. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. Is the story true? Well, uh, well Malachy's, Malachy doesn't pitch the, his entire journalistic no, integrity yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. He basically says, if it's not true, it should, it should be. be. It really should. So, you know, even though it's, it may not itself be true, it hints at a greater truth. It's got qualities of truth. I'll have to ask one of our guests about that today. Anyway, Benny Dunn, who's been with us all summer. He has played in three All-Ireland finals for tip, all against Kilkenny, the trilogy. Yeah, 09, 10 and 11. Sounds about right. Most famously getting sent off after coming on as a sub in the 09 game. And you know, this being sports analysis, we're going to talk mostly to Benny about that one rather mm. than the we're gonna glorious victory in 2010. We're going to stretch him out on the uh, second captain's psychiatrist couch and uh, talk to him about that one. I'm sure people remember, probably remember that incident, but I think it is relevant to talk about just in the sense of trying to get to the right pitch of, of a game and particularly for the substitutes coming off the bench, which is a bigger and bigger feature and has been over the last few years. Just, I suppose the danger of going 
too far and of getting of just being a little bit too wound up. I don't know if that is what he mm. he how he felt coming off, but we'll ask him about that. Yeah, and these these are the days that uh, that define you for better or worse. You know, like there was a, the Gola team that won two All Irelands in ninety eight and two thousand and one football All Irelands. Obviously, um, we ha- Gola hadn't played an All Ireland final since nineteen eighty three, and then all of a sudden, the players that get us there are being judged on All Ireland final day. You know, so there there are members of that team. About about which you would say, oh, you well, you know, he's a really good player, but did he really do it on All Ireland final day? <laughs> it's like he's got there. He's obviously a pretty good player. David Breen is going to be with us too. He's been here a couple of times over the championship. His Limerick team beat Tip in Munster this season and lost narrowly to Kilkenny in the All Ireland semi final. So two fairly relevant perspectives, I would have said, on the game this Sunday. We're also going to talk to Mayo's Alan Dillon later. You talked there, Murph, about players who um, are judged and teams who are judged in All Ireland final weekend and I suppose this is for better or worse what happens to Mayo certainly Larry Tompkins wrote about Dylan in particular and the team in general before the first game against Kerry about lacking uh, stomach I think it was stomach for the big occasion he said take Alan Dylan. he's played in four Ireland finals lost all four and taken off in two of them in the final they just can't seem to perform so it's I won't be harping on too much about that with Alan but I'll certainly see if that made any impact on him or on the team coming into the game we're going to talk about the future without James Horn and we're talking baseball with US Murph specifically the, the ability of teams with way less money to beat teams with loads of money which mm. doesn't really happen in most other sports well you know like I, I, mean, I mean consistently I mean staying yeah, above them yeah. yeah like Donegal in Dublin though it is it is possible sure. to uh, bite back against the powers of high finance mm. and get the big W as Jim McGuinness would say I'm not quite sure how that finance thing is supposed to apply to Dublin against Donegal is just it pos- read Jim McGuinness's quotes from last week well, well, what should, are you saying that Dublin? It's like Roman Abramovich, he said. Are you saying Dublin should just buy um, that desperate Dan lad, Michael Murphy? Should just are you saying <laughs> you saying we should just lash out fifty fifty nine point seven million euros and have him playing for us next year? Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? No, no. Okay, well then, what are you saying exactly? Because it, it the funny thing I'm is not going to sit here. The funny thing is that in all those other sports that you're talking about, yeah. the difference money makes is that it attracts the best players to the team that has the most money. Is that the case in Gaelic Games? What I'm saying... No, it's not. Yeah. What I'm saying... So the yeah. only difference is that apparently the Dublin team probably have, you know, a, a better equipped weights room than the Donegal team. Yeah. And how much difference does that make? Well, I don't know if they no do, because the weights... Room, the, <laughs> the Donegal boys had their five-day trip to... Just so what do they actually have? Just a massive backroom team. Ken, I was speaking tongue-in-cheek with regard to some comments made by Jim McGuinness, which Owen McDevitt thought was some of the greatest mind games he'd ever seen in sport last yeah. week. That's all. That's all I'm saying, Ken. Apology accepted. For the sixth championship in Roca, Kenny will play tip in the championship. It's the first time they played in the final, though, since the last of the three in a row in 2011. Two of them ultimately won by Kenny. Benny Dunn and David Breen are with us in studio. Lads, thanks for calling in. Thanks for having us in on. Great to be here. Yeah, good to be here, boys. Uh, can I ask you, first of all, this has been bugging me all day and we were talking about this in the show earlier, Benny. Malachy Clerkin told a story in the Irish Times today about Bonner Marr uh, claiming that when he plays golf, he carries bricks in his bag <laughs> so, that he, so that he can feel like he's working out as he goes. Do you think, knowing uh, Patrick Bonner Marr, this might be true? Well, as well as that, uh, I've played golf with Bonner Marr and he definitely doesn't carry bricks around in his bag. But I can see where Malachy is coming from. He's that type of an individual, but... Uh, Actually, a very good golfer as well, has to be said, Bonner. Um, but no, he doesn't carry bricks it. around in his bag. That, one, that yeah. one's killed already. Well, yeah. I'm actually, I feel bad now because that, I love that story so much. I, <laughs> I want it to be true. Maybe he, 
Malky's not saying he does it every time. No, there was just, so the maybe just one time when he needed, you know, an, an extra bit of a workout. Yeah, I'm going to so. go with that. I'm going to go with that. Maybe so. The build-up, Benny, seems to be, I think around the country, maybe earlier in the week anyway, a little more subdued. Everyone was getting over the football last weekend, probably. I'd imagine in tip, though, it's been all systems go, or has it? Yeah, no, actually, surprisingly, it has been quite enough on And maybe it's down to, I suppose, I'm working in Dublin now and not down home as much. But I suppose it's starting to pick up now from kind of Wednesday. And, and again, today, just talking to a few lads at home, it is starting to pick up. And I suppose a lot of talk around tickets and stuff like that, as you would expect in the, the week uh, before in All-Ireland. Um, and definitely the two football matches last weekend, especially the Mayo and Kerry game, you kind of notice you're still seeing it in the media right up to kind of Tuesday, Wednesday. But I think from, from today on, really, you'll start to kind to feel the hype building up and I suppose the tip crew is starting to get their arrangements made for Friday and Saturday heading up to Dublin and uh, getting ready for for the night before the All-Ireland so yeah starting to pick up and it's you know it's always a special week the week before in All-Ireland and the lead up and I think you know I know the players the boys train on Tuesday night they'll probably train again tonight and you know you'll see an excitement uh, building up from here on in Excitement building in Limerick would you say David <laughs> wishing wishing Tipperary well? Um, <laughs> more excitement for the minors I'd say than anything else but um, ah, look at you know it'll be, it'll be a, a tough uh, spectacle for, for a lot of Limerick people but look it's great to have the minors there in, in the, the prelude From your own point of view would you would you watch it as something you can learn from or as motivation to get back there and been so close the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, probably wouldn't go to it now, but um, yeah. I'd, I'd watch it. Uh, yeah, definitely watch it. And look, any time you know championship like that lines out, and you've two teams that are potential rivals to your own, like you're going to be watching and you're going to be studying as, as best you can. But. Um, there still yeah. be a sense of hurt there, I, I assume. Either would, yeah. There'd have to be, you know, uh, like it was uh, the the f- falling at the hurdle before before the All Ireland is is um, it's not still not too long ago, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it'll be a tough one to watch. But look, I'll, I'll probably take stock of it anyway. The reality of sport, Benny, is that the, these big days can go wrong as easy as they can go right, and both things have happened to you. You've won in All Ireland, you've come on as a scoring sub, but you know I'm going to ask you about the sending off in 2009 and that defeat. Is that the one that gets brought up to you by people more than actually the wins? Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's probably down to human nature more than anything else, and people will always, I suppose, slag you about the 09 final as opposed to coming on and, and getting a point and winning in 2010. And um, But you know, I've gotten used to that over the last couple of years, and without a doubt, like 09 was probably as tough a situation as I as I've ever been in um, you know and, and I suppose disappointing in that regard to be sent off in an All-Ireland final is obviously a huge thing and you know I felt you know while it was I suppose my mistake and I had to take responsibility for it I felt sorry I suppose for, for the for the boys who had to play the last 20 minutes with 14 men um, you know for my family and friends who were there on the day you know it's not nice um, and you know I felt for them probably more than myself because I, I knew in time I'd get over it uh, but for them to be there on the occasion it's, it's not very nice but I suppose in fairness I made a decision to get to go back the year after I suppose I could have left it there um, and you know it was it was great of the management Liam and the management to bring me back in 2010 so I put the head down and you know we won the All-Ireland obviously in 10 and, and uh, kind of made up for, for the 9 final without a shadow of a doubt and at least it allowed me to just to put the 9 kind of memory to bed for once and for all and uh, I suppose redemption is, is the word that I use on the day you know Yeah which is fair enough what actually happened when you uh, pull I guess a wild stroke is what you call yeah. it what was going through your what happened from in your own words Yeah well I suppose coming in that day um I suppose I got a sense of a huge kind of a physical challenge from from Kilkenny. It was like I came in, I think, on, on Tommy Walsh at the time, and I suppose they were starting to get on top of us. Um, 
you know, and and you know, I suppose it was one of those things. I wasn't on the pitch. I think five or six minutes. I I, I think I got one touch of the ball uh, beforehand, and I suppose we got a line ball. And I remember, I think Shane took it. Shane McGrath took it, and uh, ball just dropped. I suppose I felt something on the back of my head. Didn't know what it was, and it was just a, a natural reaction to 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 pull out. Um, and you know when I look back on it now, which you no, know, obviously a massive regret. But at least I got a chance to make up for the year after. Was it in part a case of being a bit too wound up? And the reason I ask is I think there is relevance to the game of the weekend substitutes and impact substitutes. Is something we've talked to you about to you before. Just getting that mindset right between being totally fired up and making an impact, and then actually just losing it a little mm. bit, and particularly in that game as well, because it was I think no one had ever seen a game played at that level of intensity maybe ever before you know it was just one of the most spectacular I remember actually at halftime being exhausted just watching, watching the thing yeah. it yeah. was just yeah. unbelievable yeah. so to come into that and try and get the, get to the pitch of it that's the big challenge it, and the it challenge definitely was it was one of those days like we saw it in the first half of that game we were obviously watching from the bench because when you're coming on as a sub you're studying everything you want to know kind of where the action areas are where you need to be where's, where you know where you need to to get in there and uh, just definitely the first half was huge physical intensity to the whole match from both teams not just from Kilkenny um, you know I remember Shane McCallan getting the ball at one stage and you know two Kilkenny guys kind of taking him out no free um, and it kind of it kind of went on from there and both teams really got stuck into each other and I think above all kind of games going between Tip and Kilkenny that was definitely a massive kind of physicality to it um, and I suppose I got dragged into that in the wrong way in the second half after coming on um, I suppose stupidly um, after seeing kind of some of the stuff that was going on in the first half and, and you know I just you just live with it I guess When you're playing against Kilkenny I mean Limerick certainly matched them physically last time I think David in the semi-final and this is maybe the lingering question over Tip it's funny you mentioned James Callan there Benny and I think he came on for him in 2011 and now Callanan is one of the, the key guys if we see the likes of Callanan coming up against JJ Delaney and matching those guys physically w- would you think that's the big test for Tipperary or are those questions unfair they're probably fed up of being questioned in that way I'd say at this stage uh, yeah I don't think there's a, there's a big question over Tip's physicality like any time that Tip have Michael Kenny in be at league final or you know on different occasions where it's competitive it's always been a very physical battle like and even you know looking back to league finals like people would often say geez you know that was championship standard stuff and um, I don't think the physicality will come into now they will have to match their physicality no doubt about it um, but I, you know I, I, I think any any typical Kenny match in the past it's always been very physical Yeah and it's nearly it's nearly a prerequisite now it's not a case of if you match the physicality you're 80% there it's like you have to match the physicality as a start and yeah. then you have to beat them hurling Yeah full stop like I mean if you're if, if you're going into a game and, and you're not going to be physical you're already getting off to, to a poor start so yeah it just should be prere- prerequisite like you said for any team at the top level yeah Callan is you know he's a guy that everyone is kind of talking about I think this week you know and this idea of an All-Ireland final as the defining moment for better or worse maybe of so many careers like it's so unfair that Callan has played as well as he has this year and yet still there appears to be maybe maybe it's outside Tipperary, maybe it's inside Tipperary more so than outside whatever. But that he has to do the business 
this week on JJ Delaney. Is that really, like, if I was a player, I'd be pretty annoyed. Sport, I suppose. That it comes down to this. But that's the way it is, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's cruel-like. And, uh, you know, it's a big stage stuff. And you could do great stuff earlier on in the year. And yeah. it would be brushed like, aside. semi-final is, you know, it's, uh, forget about that. Like, you yeah. know, any, anyone could do it all-Ireland semi-final. I think, level, yeah, and I think crazy, it's, it's you know? testament to how good Jamie has played this year. At that there is a lot of pressure on him this yeah. week but like it's a brand new game and he'll know that he played a club game I know two weeks ago after the the week after to play Cork in the semi-final and had an outstanding game again so he's in great form and that's why a lot of the talk is around him this week because he got two goals in All-Ireland semi-final but that's only positive from from, from his behalf and I, I think he'll see it that way um, there's no doubt people will say that you know he only got one point off JJ Delaney in how many games of Hurling but like you can't really say that because the way Hurling is now that you know like Shamey could have played in three or four different positions on those days and yeah. you can't really say one for one that that's a true uh, true stat um, but his Sunday there's no doubt he will start full forward JJ Delaney will be full back it'll be a huge battle but I think you know if Tip can get him the right ball into him um, like he's plenty of pace he's a brilliant absolutely brilliant finisher we've, we, we, we've seen that um, and there's no reason why he can't continue his good form In almost every preview that you read of the game uh, from the Tipperary side it starts off with defeat to Limerick possibly the end of Eamon O'Shea's reign where they to lose the next time out and then coming back against Galway with 20 minutes or finishing off against Galway Were you surprised to, or have you been surprised with their progress since losing to you guys David in the last few, week, few months? Yeah, not not surprised really. Like I knew, you know, we know that they're a very good team, and they have they've had a really good run, like leading into it, very similar to kind of what happened Clare last year. And oftentimes it can be the run that you get going in with progressively harder matches and a good test against Galway, and you know that that game against Cork won't have really done them any favors. Um, but you know, it's been a nice build up for them, so not not really surprised to see them. You say that that wasn't ideal for them and I know within TIP certainly the management are saying look we can't do anything about the fact that we played so well in these games No, ideally would you prefer what Kilkenny had against you guys as a build up to another yeah I think any team that is going to come through a very tight battle in the semi-final that has to stand to you in the final um, TIP will be delighted to have won that game and that's all they wanted to do but realistically you know it, it was out of it wasn't competitive in the last 15 or 20 minutes of that match and that's not great um, practice going into a final we've seen that maybe with Dublin in the football that eventually caught up with them I don't know if that's a fair comparison and they're completely different sports but where do you stand on that Benny is that the one fear you have about Tipperary yeah definitely but the thing about that is it's totally out of their control so they, could, they couldn't help I mean they weren't going to pull up against Cork either and that's not possible and obviously Kilkenny had a cracking game against Limerick and you know conditions on the day allowed the game it was a very close game so definitely Kilkenny have the advantage in terms of the preparation coming into an All-Ireland final because obviously Tip wouldn't have been able to get a challenge game of any note coming into the All-Ireland because everybody else has gone out of it so you know it's not ideal but having said that it was out of their control so they just have to roll with what they have um, and you know they have a clean bill of health so that would help coming into kind of training games uh, last weekend and, and the weekend before as well so um, I think they're still in, a good, in, in good shape going into Sunday yeah, and that, that being said like with Kilkenny having the advantage I'm not sure that either because the Leinster final was you know a dull affair Dublin didn't, really didn't put it up to them you know they had awfully before that and Kilkenny I suppose we tested them um, but before that they hadn't really mm. had, had had many tests up to that so yeah it was like the 10 minutes against Galway you know there were 10 points up Galway came from nowhere I mean, that wasn't a test either in ways. You know, the, the game won, then they nearly lost it. 
Jeff and Shefflin and Canning did what they did in the last minute of that game. But yeah, other than that, you know, they hadn't had anything until the semi final either. So, but if the semi final is the most recent game, that's the only mm. counter argument to that. Yeah. If you're if you're looking yeah. at it, 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 it's probably not relevant to what happened in Leinster or even provincially. Yeah, this yeah. stage, I would have thought. Just on Kilkenny, I'm going to put it to you, David, that they don't use tactics. This is what we hear that they're not a tactical side. They just go out and hurl. Did you find them to be tactical against you guys? They definitely have a plan. You know, whether you call it tactics or not, they definitely go after players and they're they study the opposition very well and they know they know what they're doing they're no mugs that way you know um they probably wouldn't have as uh, stringent uh game plan as maybe the likes of you know claire or even leash this year you've seen seen certain tactics with them but they definitely have a plan but yeah they're a bit more free-flowing when you say uh, go after players do they Pick, is it they pick a specific player they just bomb a load of ball on top of him and get players how does that actually manifest itself do you think I think that they might try and pick out weaknesses in the opposition and, and put that player under pressure and they also might pick out you know strengths in the opposition and make sure that you know that, that that player is being swallowed up and that's you know like anything but Kilkenny do that very definitely yeah Sounds like tactics, <laughs> Benny. Yeah, definitely. I think David is 100% right in what he's saying. They do pick weaknesses in teams and, and you know, they're very good on the puck out. I think they do, from right. what I can gather and what I see and the way I see Kilkenny playing is they do a lot of work around puck out and winning their own ball and winning their own battle. And it comes back to that. I think Cody's motto is literally you play your position and you win that position at all costs. And obviously the more battles you win, you'll win the war. So um, and, I, and I think, you know, he simplifies it to that regard. But definitely... I would say the puck was probably their strongest point. They've made some changes this year, bringing Richie Hogan out to midfield. That didn't happen by accident either. Um, and he's really driving from there. I think, to me, he's been player of the championship so far. Um, you know, the goal he got against Limerick, I don't think there's too many players in the country mm-hmm. that could could have got that goal. Um, and he's really driving them from there. Uh, obviously, Richie Power will be, uh, you know, a big player for them the next year. You'd imagine he'll start, put a, some puck out down on top of him. Obviously, Fenley now has gone to kind of centre forward and Colin Fenley's drifting out. So, like, there is... Let's be fair. There is tactics there. I think it's 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 not true to say they have no tactic going out on the pitch. Um, there's definitely something going on there in the background. Yeah, and uh, I well, we've heard words how confirmed or not it is that Richie Hogan is playing it full forward in a couple of training games. I mean, that would that would strike me as being as very strange, given that he's been the form midfielder in the country. Yeah, I couldn't see that happening. Not yeah. with the form he's been in around the middle of the park, and like as we know, in Crow Park, such a big pitch, there's a lot of a lot of play around kind of that middle third uh, where it's going to be you know and I suppose Tip had a good outing in midfield the last day as well with six points from play from from James and Shane so I think Kilkenny are going to be at their strongest in midfield and I think by moving Richie Hogan out of there is not going to do them any favours in my opinion now David? Yeah that midfield battle is crucial and you know, Richie's been performing really well there and I'd, I'd be very surprised if they took him out of midfield he's kind of running a show inside there You mentioned the puck being Kilkenny's strength Donald low was highly complimentary Darren Gleeson's puck outs I think he said as the best display of tactical puck outs he'd seen uh, Brittany Cummins was conspicuous by silence <laughs> right beside him when he said that <laughs> it's, it certainly seemed like Tip had a big plan in that regard as well how does one team go, go about disrupting the other team's puck outs well, I don't know about that on and Tip and Cork like Cork allowed Darren Gleeson uh, so much space to puck out and I'm not sure was that the the 
ultimate plan going out against Cork. I think he saw at the start of the match from what I what I saw of it was he found his two wing backs with two or three puck outs. Next thing Cork weren't pushing up on their men. He said, "Well, hang on a second. There's loads of space here. Let's stay doing it because it's working. Because they gave the the wing back an opportunity to put some good ball into Callan and he made hay from there. Um, so whether was it. In, and I don't think you'll see that space against Kilkenny so you definitely won't see that space against Kilkenny so you'll see I'd say Darren going probably trying to pick out the odd short puck out but then reverting to going long after that because there's no way Kilkenny will press like they did against Limerick they press up on their men um, like we saw Colin Fenley tracking back how many times against Limerick getting in a hook getting in a block and their forwards will, will work uh, you know all day long so I don't think you'll see Darren getting that space so and, it, lo- and he, it almost looked better than it was it, I, was, it was made easy played, for him yeah, he played what he saw I suppose I think he played what he saw and like that's hurling for you I kind of have to go with what you see in front of you you can't really plan for that but definitely Cork were 3-4 yards after men and Darren picked out Shane McGrath three or four times in the first half Paddy Marr like he had so much space it was it was unbelievable so Kenny unlikely to give him, give them that kind of space yeah I was very surprised at it to be honest myself like that might happen a couple of times mm. in a half and if it does you turn around to the fella who should be there and you give him an absolute ball yeah. and out of it yeah. and you make sure mm. it doesn't happen again but it happened so often and I was half thinking myself is that a deliberate tactic by Cork it couldn't be um, or were they just really not at the race just you know just not clued in at all and uh, yeah it just gave him a platform to do what Tip wanted to do which is Mm. just launch it down on the end of the edge of that square and and feed off the brakes I know you're not going to give us every last detail of how Limerick dealt with Kilkenny's puck outs or tried to but are there general are there basics that players can do to, to, to that can execute to try to stop Kilkenny winning as much possession as they will hope to win in this final yeah you have to be you have to be competing hard you know under their puck outs and you have to be looking to the guys that are that are tend to win win most of the puck outs and get guys around them you know and um, get guys on the breaks like it's that second ball that is crucial the thing with Kilkenny is they're so good at win- every one of the six forwards are so good at winning their own ball Mm. Um, like if you take TJ Reid Colin Fenley Richie Power Shefflin when he's there Michael Fenley when he's playing Mick, Mick yeah. Fenley when he's there like they just can stand under it and win it clean and as as David said like they're feeding off the brakes then but they're so you know they're big men they're all six footers and that's hard to you know that's hard to manage but then again I suppose the tip half back line uh, in terms of Brenda Maher Power Podimar, they're all six footers as well, so we should be able to compete there. But you will definitely see Kilkenny winning clean possession from puck out, and it's what they do when they land to the ground. And the, the tip guys are going to be, need to be very defensive when they when they go to ground with the ball and just be just swarming them. Really, I've got a theory, Benny, and I'm sure you're only dying to hear it. <laughs> so conspicuous silence. <laughs> Henry Shefflin's going to start this game and play probably 50 minutes, or get taken off and brought back on. Peter Cameron Peter Cameron style. style, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I d- can't, yeah. can't see it no you definitely don't, um, yeah. there's no chance of Shefflin uh, this being the Brian, the one Brian Cody joker that he plays in, in almost every big final yeah is, is, yeah. It, is it fitness or why wouldn't it just the fact that, the, that Shefflin I think the fact that games? I suppose Mark Kelly was under pressure at full forward the last day I think you'll see Richie Power coming in from Mark Kelly uh, will he make two, two changes in the forward line at the start unlikely. it's unlikely but uh, you will definitely see Henry Shefflin in the All-Ireland on Sunday whether it be in a starting position or, or coming on as a sub but to me I think he'll, he'll bring him on as opposed to start David do you want, do you want to back me up <laughs> not a chance it's uh, strange things have happened and you know mm. you know what he might, he might, he might go with it because 
you know, playing All Ireland finals for Henry isn't isn't anything new. I'm trying to think what Tipperary wouldn't want to see, and I'm thinking they maybe wouldn't really want to see Henry Shefflin start this game, not knowing exactly what kind of form he's. Do you remember be. back to the ten final loan? Though yeah. he started Henry that day, and his his knee wasn't right. Now, but that was a proper. I mean, he yeah, no, I know, but he brought him off after fifteen or twenty minutes. So I don't. Like, yeah, just, I, but I don't. Think there's any yeah. doubt about Shefflin being fit to. To, I don't think he's got an injury at the moment, does he? It's, no, just, that he, it's just that he hasn't not played a full time. game. Yeah. Like the, the one thing that I would say is that the only time we've seen in 15 years of the Cody era where he's maybe let his heart rule his head would appear to have been the 2010 final when mm. he shouldn't have played Shefflin that day. You know, and I don't he, think that's heart ruling his head, though. I think it's more yeah. he thought, pr- practically speaking, that... Uh, Henry Shefflin, if he could survive the game, yeah. would, would would win him, uh, would help win him the match. I don't know if it's, yeah. I don't know if it's I, a heart. Yeah, I don't. Um, you it, was know. A, it was a crazy call, I thought. At the time, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, look, it was probably a loyalty thing with with Henry and Brian Cody as well. Yeah. They're, they're going for their ten All Irelands, the two of them. Like obviously, Henry has been brilliant for Cody over his term as manager and that was probably more a loyalty thing than Anthony and he chance playing him even though he wasn't 100% fit um, and look who knows you could see him starting on Sunday and that, you know he wouldn't rule it out fully mm. ok well it's not totally ruled out we've, yeah, well, we've already we've already ruined the the Bonner Mara story so yeah. Benny's being nice <laughs> to me here by not totally ruining this one out this is the sixth meeting in a row in the championship with um, of these teams which is fairly incredible and mostly well every championship game between them is going to be very big does that give the advantage to either team or either manager is, is Eamon O'Shea any better suited than Brian Cody to learning from the, pre- the previous meetings um, not necessarily not necessarily, I think. Like, if you look back in those meetings, the Kilkenny have had the upper hand. Yeah. And there's no doubt about it. I think we've won once in those in those six years. So, um, on the law of averages, that has to change. Hopefully, it will uh, on Sunday. But I think Gaiman will treat this as just a, kind of a once-off. It's an All-Ireland final. He's going to prep tip to the best of his ability and I think he's done that and he has a clean bill of health and I think he's got to be happy with that and he spoke this week about performances everything and not really looking at uh, the opposition and he just wants the team to perform to the best of their, of their ability and uh, I think no name and that's what he will do Do those teams do those previous games make any difference to the build up to this in your experience when you're playing the same team year in year out David is it an, a good idea to look back at the previous years? Um, probably not if you've, if you've only won one out of the last six meetings but um, I think from a a psychological point of view that it'll really stand to Kilkenny you know they'll know kind of in the heart of hearts that they've had tough battles and more often than not they've come out on top so from a confidence point of view like Kilkenny will will have be very confident going into the game but you know, it's all about what's within the camp too, and you know, from the looks of Tip at the moment, like they're very, you know, they've got a good, um, they've got a, a strong belief inside there. Is that the case, Benny? Is that the sense you get from them, from Tip? Yeah, without a doubt, and I suppose the the Galway game in Thurles was was a real turning point uh, in their season, where you know we were five or six down and we came back and won that convincing in the end, and and really grab momentum from there and I think you're seeing what you're seeing now is a very confident um, you know well equipped well drilled bunch of guys that are just want to play ball and and that are just going out there to I suppose enjoy the game first of all and try win, win another Celtic cross because we know down in tip one in or two in 20 years you know isn't good enough Um and you know we know I suppose the players are there to do it, but sometimes they don't always show up and I think the lads will be going out on Sunday to make sure to get a performance like Eamon is looking for and if they get that well then the re- results should look after itself and will it look after itself? 
Yeah, well, I'm, I can't say any different anyway. Um, I'm going to go with the, obviously with the, with the blue and gold. And I think lads are in good fettle. They have a clean bill of health, as I said. Everybody's fit. And Mickey Cal is, is back from a, from a slight knee injury as well. So that's, and that's good. That can only be good from a tip point of view. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed. David? I, find, I just find it very hard to call. Very hard to call. Um, you can call a draw if you really want. <laughs> I'll call a draw first then. But uh, I suppose if I had to really, you know, be pushed on it I'd have a sneaking suspicion for Kilkenny Kilkenny well you're sitting in a room with a man who will back Kilkenny unless given incontrovertible evidence otherwise in Owen McDavid so I think you're you're probably safe enough there alright that'll do listen Benny Dunn great stuff David Breen thanks very much thanks thanks lads that's the question that's going to be answered tonight tonight so now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight tonight their team is better set up tonight tonight but they just the bottom line is Michael they have to do tonight tonight no I think Hawk have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups massive boo-boo tonight 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 Hope you enjoyed that chat. I hadn't, I actually hadn't really heard Benny speak in depth about that sending off before, which is why we wanted to get an insight into what's going through a player's head after a moment like that. And it's great for Benny that he got to come back the following year, make a huge impact, and help his team win the All Ireland final. A lot of players, not that a lot of players have been sent off in All Ireland finals, but a lot of players have had their own versions of that kind of a meltdown and have never got a chance to come back. So at least, uh, at least yeah. there was that. He even used the word redemption himself. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's a pretty positive way to, to look at it. Uh, I went out to see David Breen in a professional capacity yesterday, Ken. Good. Yeah, well, he was in a professional capacity. Um, yeah. David's a physio at the sports surgery clinic in Santry. And I have what turns out to be a minor enough hamstring injury. Murph, yeah. I live. I mean, I made it into work all right, despite my yeah, you, uh, hamstring strain. You weren't so sure when you rang me on Tuesday night, Owen. Uh, Ken, I don't know if you've heard this, no, but... Owen here gave me a call on uh, it was Monday night wasn't it you're going to mock me now no, yeah I'm going to mock you yeah. I pulled something so, in the back of my knee and was worried that it may he, be he something ran, so he, he rang me and he said listen I'm pretty certain I've done my cruise shit not, not, nothing but, close to what I said what was uh, his tone oh, he was pretty we, relaxed for about so who just done his cruise shit <laughs> so I said uh, you don't seem to be in a whole lot of pain there and he was like oh no 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 it's definitely I've definitely snapped something 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 really bad none of this but is really true but, but you were just walking around yeah. pretty much as normal well, yeah but, uh, yeah, but none, of, none of what Kieran is describing here actually took place by the phone call there so was what, a phone call so what actually happened so he, he rang me and he said have you ever injured your knee Murph yeah and I said yeah I've, I've I, I, I had did the cartilage in it yeah. and some ligament damage mm. Then he, he proceeded to give me a diagnosis. Sounded pretty bad now. Yeah. You know, a I lot of people in a lot of pain. Torn ligaments. He's, he heard a, he heard a, a crack. Oh, was, or a snap. telltale click. Yeah, something like that. Mm. Yeah, he heard it again. That he went back to play and he heard another noise. Mm. Ev- even more doom-laden than the first <laughs> noise. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, so you heard a noise. Well, that's not great. You know, it could just be your, it could just be your hamstring, you know. Yeah. So, nah. Nah, it couldn't be. No. Nah, it couldn't be. Uh, and I was like, well, I did do a, a, the muscle that joined my kneecap to my quad. I did that. That was kind of sore. He was like, yeah, yeah, that's probably probably some, like a probably bit. something Look, a lot worse. Than my that. knee, my knees, my knees are making all kinds of funny sounds now. Yeah, it, it must it must be a ligament. Goes to physio last night and he goes, well, turns out Murph, you did it again. 
Correct diagnosis by you. So, you know, Part, you, parts of you that thought you were David Boost. Yeah, but I also appeared the <laughs> bad news out of all this. The good news is only a minor hamstring problem. No big deal. The bigger issue is that I appear to have the world's most rigid hamstrings. Yeah. Have you ever done that exercise where a physio asks you to lie on your back initially just have both legs straight out in front of yeah. you very simple one you just keep one leg on the floor yeah. raise the other one keep your knee straight yeah. so say you're raising your left leg as high as you can ideally you should be getting to I don't know I think it's could be 70, 80 degrees yeah. that kind of angle on, lift your left leg keep, keep both legs no, straight on your back keep, yeah and keep both legs one, straight and raise one raise one exactly okay. yeah this is um, to the point that it starts wobbling as yeah, it ultimately yeah, yeah. will usually do <laughs> mine started wobbling Oh, David, David if I got to 45 degrees, I was doing well. I mean, mine... Calling his fellow physio and saying, listen, you, you just won't believe what I'm seeing in here. This is unbelievable. Just, yeah. The most rigid... Uh, no, I must say, I was I'll rigid. give you a good run for your money there. You're rigid. rigid. Uh, but I, I've never actually never actually pulled my hamstring. I've, I've decided that it was a safer course of action to not run almost exclusively throughout my sporting career, thereby n- severely... Lessening the chances of me ever snapping my hamstring. The yards in the head. That's what you're relying heavily on. Yeah, there. the fifty, the first fifty yards are in your head, Ken. We've um, got a, the, the, the thing I would say though yeah. is that it is quite normal for a man of your years um, to have some pretty noisy knees. At least that's what I tell myself. Um, <laughs> you know, the dawn chorus that accompanies you swinging your legs out of the bed every morning. It's not as though your knees are constantly making noise. You know, as though there was some some kind of a little party going on in there. Mm. Uh, amongst the synovial fluid and the meniscus and whatnot, but just you know when it, when the when they're flex, whatever you know. Say if you if you crouch down and then you stand up, suddenly it's it's not unusual to hear a, a sound like uh, something small and bony being crushed. Yeah, you're you're probably fine. Huh? If you're enjoying three old men talking about injuries, then do have a listen to the beast of an Irish Times second captain's football podcast that's ready to go. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Now you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. What are you doing down here, you showing me, man? It's already out there, Ken. What's in it? Well, what's not in it? That might be That might be quicker. Injury talk. Yeah, there's no injury talk. Um, there's no well, actually, let's let's do it the traditional way. I'll tell you what's in it because if I start, to, <laughs> yeah, oh, probably, probably even bad. though there is a lot in it, there's still more outside it than there is in yeah. it. If you know what I mean. So in it, well, Roy Keane, Seamus Coleman, Mal Quinn, Richie Sadler, uh, me, you, Kieran uh, Irish there. identity, Irish issues of Irish identity, three at the back. Uh, issues of three at the back. Um, Darren Gibson, issues of, of injury. Mid-career injury, the way it makes you stop and think. The way it changes your priorities. You know, you, you actually should listen to it, Owen. You might learn a lot about this. Sometimes something goes wrong in your knee, and it can be the trigger for something going very right in your head. <laughs> it's time now for US Merv. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet.
Ryan Murphy, great news here. We're going to talk baseball today and not Little League baseball, fully grown up Major League Full baseball. Full actual baseball. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait a minute, I thought I was talking to, the, I thought I was talking to Owen and Murph. What, what's going on? Who, kidna- who kidnapped you guys and replaced you guys? Well, I cannot believe this. this. I got the email from you guys that you wanted to talk baseball. I was like, is this a prank? Is this April Fool's Day? What's going on here? So, uh, well, let's do it before you guys lose your enthusiasm for it. Yeah, well, I mean, part of the reason we want to talk, we will be doing plenty of NFL, I'm sure, during the season, just starting oh, this yeah. weekend. So why not talk oh, yeah. about... The story that struck us, right, is the Baltimore Orioles, they're top of the American League East. As we speak, they're 10 wins clear of the mighty New York Yankees. Uh, the Red Sox, in the meantime, have gone from uh, the World Series last year to bottom of their league in uh, 2014. Does this sport lend itself even more than any other to these kind of wild fluctuations? And just how surprising it is to see the Baltimore Orioles up the top of their division. The Baltimore Orioles. What a great franchise. With uh, We can get into it with Frank Robinson and Brooks Robinson and Earl Weaver and Jim Palmer and Cal Ripken and all those great Baltimore Orioles that I know all your listeners know all so well, right? You know Babe Ruth was born in Baltimore, right? You know that? And you know Camden Yards was built right near the orphanage where Babe Ruth apparently spent his childhood. See, guys, you talk baseball, I'll throw as much trivia as I could <laughs> right out of the gate. The first uh, answer, yeah, I love it. <laughs> It's a great town, actually, Baltimore. It's a great baseball town, and it's good to see them back. They've been in the they've been in the toilet for two decades, Baltimore. But yeah, um, you know, obviously, I know you guys want to talk about you know payrolls and their effect on on baseball, and I guess that kind of your guys over there can relate when it comes to the big English football teams, the Premier League teams, you know, and the amount of money that some teams have, you know, whether it's I guess uh, you know Man City or or Chelsea or Arsenal versus some of the lesser teams that don't have the same money. Similar stuff going on over here in Major League Baseball. It is, of the big three sports, it is of baseball, basketball, and football, and uh, apologies to hockey there, it is the only one without a salary cap. So it's almost like the Wild West in a way that kind of like, you know, gunslingers ahoy, you can go spend whatever you want now. In recent years, they have instituted something called a luxury tax that if you go over a certain number, you do have to kick a certain amount of money back into the pool. That's getting a little too technical. They also have instituted a degree of revenue sharing, which did not used to exist. And so that's, again, a little too techni- a little technical. But it does mean that there has been a little bit of an asterisk of a salary cap the last few years. But for the most part, guys, you just bring your wallet to the table and spend. And the New York Yankees have been the most famous team over the last 20, 30 years of this huge money payroll era of baseball. Because it all is tied to the local TV contracts. Again, not to get too technical, but if you have a large population base that has a lot of cable subscribers, your team can make a lot of money off the local cable contract because these te- you know these networks are looking for programming and baseball provides as you guys may or may not know 162 games of programming and we talked about the NFL and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about it this fall as it gets underway here in America but that's only 16 games of programming versus 162 so there's content so teams like the New York Yankees with a huge population base and a huge amount of cable subscribers have always had a ton of money because cable companies pay them a lot of money for their games. So the Yankees have been the kings. They've been the most uh, exp- they've been the easily the most um, uh, sp- uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, generous team with their payroll, uh, spendy with their payroll. <laughs> they've been the ones, and it translated for a while, guys. You know, into that World Series run of the late '90s, five World Series or four World Series in the late '90s, through another one in '09. 
But the damnedest thing is happening. You're starting to find out that money does not buy happiness in baseball because the Yankees are flailing this year. They are likely to miss the playoffs entirely for a team with a $203 million payroll. And the team you talked about, Baltimore, has a $107 million payroll, $100 million less spent on players, and the Orioles are smoking them. And it's fun, and it's great, and it's exciting, and it's good for baseball fans. It's good for baseball cities like Baltimore. It's good for people who believe that uh, the little guy can get over, that you don't have to be uh, Richie Rich with your big wallet and your Cadillac and your mink coat, and that all the winners don't all go to the biggest money guys. So it's a great story in Baltimore, and there's other ones like that around baseball, too. Yeah, and then you've seen like the Red Sox, who, as I mentioned, are uh, now bottom of the American League East. They finished in a similar position in 2012, but in between times, they won a World Series last year. Um, how does that actually? I, I just that would literally never happen in the Premier League, for example. Nothing close to that would happen. There is no possible way that Chelsea would come last next year, then come back to win the Premier League or Manchester City, to be more specific and more correct about it. How does it happen in baseball? Well, in fairness, you have identified a very unusual occurrence. This is definitely kind of a, almost a one-off, the Red Sox uh, going from last to World Series champs back to last. It is very bizarre. And if you want to talk to your I'm sure many of our listeners have relatives in New England or have been to Boston many times. There's a great connection between Boston and Ireland, I know. And uh, you want to get some of those guys on the therapist's couch, they will, they will chew your ear off because the Red Sox mean so much to them. And the Red Sox have given them the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. It's funny, I was just talking to a friend of ours from Boston. She was out visiting us um, in San Francisco, and we were out to dinner, and she was just complaining about the Red Sox that you wouldn't have. I said, hey, you won the World Series last year. They're like, that doesn't matter. We're in last place. And so, I mean, Red Sox fans are nuts, man. They're certifiable. They're kooky. And plus, they have this whole... Red Sox have this incredibly interesting history of being the most downtrodden, pathetic patsies for 100 years, the, watching the Yankees win 27 World Series while they won none from 1918 to 2004. Not only that, they came to so close so many different times, 1946, 1967, 1975, and of course, most famously, 1986. All seven-game World Series losses in 1986 when they had it won and Bill Buckner let the ground ball go through his legs, etc., etc. You know, Seinfeld even made a a bit about that. So, yes, so the Red Sox, yes, very well. So the Red Sox have their own thing going on. When you talk about the Red Sox, it's like they're a whole other concept because now they've won four World Series or three World Series in the last ten years, which is like more than generations of Red Sox fans could have ever dreamed of, and yet. They're still angry that the Red Sox are in last place right now. It is hard to explain why they are with a $162 million payroll, the fourth highest payroll in all of baseball out of 30 teams. They should perennially be contenders. They have a number of different reasons why things have gone sour for them, whether it was pitching or whether it was underperforming stars or whether it was injuries or whether it was World Series hangover. But, yeah, they have been a colossal disappointment. But, again, if you're a Red Sox fan – You've won three World Series since '04. You've vanquished the ghost of Babe Ruth and the, and the curse of the Bambino. You know, maybe you're going to have to swallow it a little bit, and, uh, and they'll be back. I'm sure they'll be back. Yeah, it kind of seems like uh, kind of a pact with the devil, you know, that you win a World Series, but you have to finish last for a couple of seasons either <laughs> side just to, just, to pay the, just to pay the rent. But, I mean, there is a, a feeling there that, say, with the Red Sox last year, win a World Series and, again, finishing last uh, either side, that there must then be genuine hope for every team that no matter how much you sucked the year before that you can actually 
if not go go all the way to the World Series, have a complete change around in your fortunes and have a really, really uh, good season. Well, yeah, it is. And, you know, that's sports in general, too, guys. You know, the NFL starting this week, the big talk is always who's going to be the surprise team. Because there is going to be a surprise team. You know, we always talk about, um, you know, Tom Brady and the Patriots. And now, you know, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks as Super Bowl champs. And Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers. And, there's, and Peyton Manning and the Broncos, of course. You know, there's all these famous teams that will be there. But there's going to be a surprise team. And there will be a surprise team or two or three in the NFL. That I think the stat is that in the last uh, 10 years or something like that, the, the NFL playoff field has changed 50% every year. Meaning half of the team teams that made it will not make it next year, and half of the teams that didn't make it, are, are the, the field will be filled with five teams that never mm-hmm. made it last year. So, same thing in baseball. Uh, you know, you're getting, you're getting a, a wonderful variety. It, it is a deeper question, probably not one for you guys, because I know this is probably our only baseball podcast of the year, but uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the deeper question is, is it good for baseball in America that they have such variety and such wild swings, or is it better for baseball in America when you have the the monster team that dominates that everybody hates, like the Yankees with Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera and that whole crew that they had, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit. When they won those four World Series in the late 90s, they were stars, man. They were big-time stars, coast-to-coast. Everybody knew them. The Yankees came to town. It was a big deal. There was a huge buzz. They had half the team stadium booing them, the other half cheering them, and it made for a real villain, kind of like pro wrestling, you know? Yeah, it's and, like there's a compelling narrative, basically, yeah, to yeah. the season that you, you get to know teams over the course of five or six years and you make your mind up one way or the other. Exactly, which is why then all of a sudden, like, say, the Texas Rangers in 2010, they made their first ever World Series to play my beloved San Francisco Giants. And, you know, it was great for Texas and great for Dallas, but the rest of the country pretty much yawned and turned the TV off because they're like, Texas Rangers, who cares? Or, uh, you know, the, uh, for example, the, uh, uh, the Houston Astros in 2006 made the World Series for the first time ever and it was like, great for Houston, but they have no pedigree, no history, no tradition, and the country yawned and turned off the TV. So you need, the, you know, there is an argument. Do you need the Red Sox and their centuries of history or century plus of history and their incredible fan base? Do you need the Yankees and their Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle ghosts and their history? Or do you need a great team like, as much as I hate them, the number one payroll team in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, our bitter rival, but they come with an incredible history. Going back to Jackie Robinson, the first black player, and on through Sandy Koufax, some would say the greatest pitcher who ever lived in the 20th century, and the glamour of L.A. and Hollywood. You know, a lot of people think it's better for baseball when they're good, too. You know, Now, I would argue that it's better for baseball when my team wins the World Series, which the San Francisco Giants have done twice in the last four seasons and are standing another chance as we talk. They're right there in the mix again here as we're in September. And September baseball is great because it's on TV every day. But, yeah, you do get wild fluctuations, and it is a debate whether or not it's good for baseball. You mentioned Jerry Seinfeld earlier, Brian. I saw recently Seinfeld himself speaking about how he used to think about a bucket list. I think you might have been asked this sort of question, uh, if and when the time comes, what, what, what are you going to try and get done in your life? And he said, at this stage, I'd just be happy to go and watch the Mets every day. I think it's the, the Mets who, who he supports, which shows how uh, passionate baseball fans are about their sport. I suppose every supporter would argue the same thing about their own team and their own sport. But the difference between baseball and, say, American football is if you lose the first couple of games in the NFL you could be almost out of the running for a playoff place pretty early on in the season, whereas with baseball, fans have to get as used to losing... Uh, as, as, as I guess the question I'm trying to ask here is, 
does a loss have any real impact? A loss of one individual match have any massive impact on supporters of fans of teams? Yeah, it's a good question, and it is get get to the very heart of the game, which is 162. That's the number of games they play. We talked about it a little earlier there. And the 162 number becomes magical, and it becomes both a blessing and a curse because, yeah, the Giants, um, on Monday night, the Giants were playing in Denver. They had a 7-2 to lead, and they blew the game. They lost. It was really an awful loss, tragic and everything. But guess what? They had a game the next day, Tuesday. And in that game, they were trailing 7-1, to and they came back and won. So in back-to-back days, you had the despair of the Monday night blown lead. You had the exhilaration of the Tuesday night incredible comeback. And guess what? There's another game Wednesday, and then there's a game Friday, and there's a game Saturday, and there's a game Sunday. And it's both a beauty. The detractors say that the frequency devalues the experience, whereas the appreciators say the frequency enhances the experience, that every day we get to watch this own individual piece of art unfold and you can treasure it and, and savor it or you can crumple it up and toss it away and you get another one. I mean it really is it's like it's the ultimate companion and, and of course it talks about the the Bart Giamatti quote, I was give you guys something to go look up, but there's a uh, Bart Giamatti was a commissioner of baseball. He was a president of Yale. You guys probably know this, but anyways, the president of Yale, and he became the commissioner of baseball in the mid 80s, and he was a real romantic. Now, baseball has been run by Bud Selig for the last 20 years, and he's just this cold, calculating businessman who's an owner's guy, and he's just been, I just haven't liked him at all. He's been a real, just, I don't know, he's, he, hasn't gov- he hasn't governed the game with any soul or passion. Bart Giamatti, Body was a romantic. He believed in the in the narrative of baseball and in its place in our country's history. And he has this famous passage where he says, baseball, it begins in the spring. It begins when everything else begins again, and then it takes you through the summer of the high skies. And then, it, and then when, the, when the nights are coldest and the, and the days are shortest, it leaves you to face the fall alone. He says, it, it breaks your heart. It is designed to break your heart. It's a very, it's, the Giamatti quote is either viewed as, by detractors, as just a bunch of corny Pua, uh, but romantics like me think that he nailed it, that it is a beautiful companion that takes you through every day and will end you in October when the leaves are falling and it gets a little chillier and only leaves you to pine for the spring again. So uh, the Giamatti quote, I'm a believer in the the beauty of the daily experience. And at the end of 162... I covered uh, uh, the, the Oakland A's in 1999. They had this great, colorful player named Tony Phillips. And uh, they had had a ma- great run in 1999. They darn near made the playoffs. And we asked him at the end of the year, we said, do you guys feel like you, you know, it wasn't a just result that you should have made the playoffs? And he looked at me all, he shook his head, and he said, man, he said, man, I played for Sparky. And he meant Sparky Anderson, this great manager who was a legendary manager. He goes, man, I played for Sparky. Sparky told me you play at 162 of these mother blankers, you pretty much end up where you're supposed to. <laughs> so, that's kind of the baseball credo, man. We'll play 162, and if you wind up winning it, you were supposed to win it. Who is going to wind up winning it this time, Brian? Who's going to be the World Series champs? Mark Arcard. Boy, oh boy. You know who stole our heart for all summer was the Oakland A's money ball with the low payroll, starting with what you guys talked about, how the low payroll team can shock the big payroll team. But unfortunately, the A's are running out of gas right now. I would have told you the A's two months ago. The Giants are making a run. They really are. But I think probably the best team in baseball is either the – it might be the Washington Nationals, guys. It might be the Washington, D.C. Nationals. We could have a parade in Obama's backyard. That would be my pick right now. They're a darn good team, great pitching, good relief, uh, a balanced lineup. And that would be a story because Washington, D.C. hasn't had a baseball championship in four – 
I don't even know. I mean, you have to go back to the Washington Senators of the 1900s. So that would be my pick, guys. Enjoy the baseball chat, Brian. Thanks so much. All right, guys. I know uh, we'll do it again in a year. Thanks again. Talk then. <laughs> All right. All the best, guys. Just one other point I want to raise about U.S. sports this week, Murph. Mm-hmm. And it comes courtesy of Kieran Boyle, who um, very helpfully tweeted a link to an article written by Charles P. Pierce, mm. one of the great American writers, largely writes for Esquire magazine, isn't it? And uh, also for Grantland. This piece is a Grantland piece. He, I didn't realise that Charles P. Pierce is Kerry by, yeah. by his Well, roots. did you not read the article he wrote last year about the Listowel races? Absolutely brilliant. If you, if you haven't read it, you should check it out. Uh, he goes back and sort of traces his family's footsteps. He comes from the hills around Listowel. So the piece that you're talking about this week mm-hmm. uh, was a piece where, well, the first uh, half of it is about him sitting down to watch Kerry and Mayo. In a bar in Cleveland or something. But the point that he comes to is that what a lot of people think soccer might take over and might ultimately when it dawns on people that American football is too violent a sport to play. Yeah. A lot of people are saying, well, soccer is going to be in position to take over. But he actually feels that what ultimately will be the be termed football in the US in 40, 50, 60 years will be more akin to Gaelic football. It will be something like that rather than soccer. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. What I think is going to happen, though, to NFL is that uh, it will be... I mean, already the, heart, the heartland of NFL anyway is the southeast in the United States. I mean, that's where most of the players come from. That's where most all the big colleges are. It's where it's it's the real football. That's college football. football yeah, country. north northeast uh, and uh, say the Chicago that kind of region. Yeah, but if you, where are those players actually coming from? I mean, the, the, this is like the real. And I, I think that's that also happens to be the area of the United States that is least welcoming of um, uh, foreign. <laughs> foreign influences is particularly you know say for instance a bunch of people suggesting that soccer would be a safer game for your kids hmm. you know I'm not sure about that that's not going to fly I'm not sure how well it would go down in that region of the United States yeah which I is think partly that- I think why uh, Pierce reckons that it'll be more like Gaelic football. It will look more like Gaelic football. He's not saying that Gaelic football is going to go over and take over America. Well, maybe. I mean, what we saw in the in the World Cup was a more violent form of soccer than we'd seen <laughs> right. seen in quite some time. Maybe uh, that needs to, you know, maybe if, if that could just be brought the other way. But I'm sure that the the future of American football is fine, securely within its redoubt of the southeast. Um, but for the rest of the country, then I think soccer is going to get bigger and bigger. We'll tweet a link to both those articles if you can find the Kerry the Listall one. From last year. Funny enough, I went looking for it oh. yesterday and I couldn't find it, but okay, I will, well, I'll I'll will endeavour to find it again. And we'll certainly send the one on that, that has been tweeted to us over the last day. Uh, we'll move on now. Plenty of talk of this being the end of the road for the current Mayo team. It's the end of the road for their manager anyway and for their championship aspirations this year after their defeat to Kerry. But our next guest has probably heard all this before about there being no way back to life. They have Alan Dillon on the programme. Alan Kieran Shannon was writing about this. Uh, he writes for the Examiner, of course, but he's part of your backroom team under James Horn, writing about the scene in the Radisson Blue Hotel on the way back from the match. Apparently that's where James Horn made his announcement. I think it was on the Ennis Road there. It sounded like quite an emotional time for everyone. Yeah, um, I suppose everyone knew that we weren't sitting there talking talking about two fifteen, and uh, you know, James just 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 thanked everyone, and uh, as a group, you know, it was probably our last time that we probably sat around in a circle together. So yeah, it was it was emotional. Is there any point, Alan, in forensically analysing the replay at this stage? Is it a, do you, after a week or two do you actually look back at the game? Is there any benefit in that? 
Um, I, I probably won't look at it for for a couple of weeks personally, but you know, bottom line, we we gave it our all the, the past two two outings against Kerry, and uh, you know, just came up short. It, it's 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 bitterly disappointing when when you lose tight games like that, and uh, Kerry had that bit bit of extra craft and. Uh, just to seal out the the win on uh, last last Saturday, and uh, you know we gave it our we gave it a right shot, and uh, that's all we can we can really um, ask for. You tweeted the day after the game saying one thing for certain is the county should never doubt our courage for the fight, which I think was clear to everybody. I know you specifically were mentioned by Larry Tompkins along with a couple of other players in the lead up to the the first game, if I remember correctly. It could have been in between the two games. Uh, he subsequently apologised for that in his next article. D- does that kind of thing get through? Were you hurt by that? Have you heard about it? Yeah, no, I suppose. Listen, it's, 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 it's water off a duck's back, really, to be honest. Larry said what he said, but it didn't trickle down to the players at all, really. But th- there is that perception, really, that Mayo probably haven't produced them displays in the, in, in the big occasions. But was, if you look back on the two last two All-Irelands, you know, like we put in some big performances in, in, in getting there and, and also in the Indian games. And at some stages, we probably didn't get the rub of the green that we needed. You know, all teams have got over the line with a bit of luck and... Uh, you know, unfortunately, that hasn't come our way, but you know, hopefully, it's it's not too far away. Yeah, a few people have been kind of saying that you know it's the the end of this Mayo team and all the rest of this. And I mean, it 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 obviously isn't. It can't be. You know, it's not like you're going to opt out of the county championship next year. The only option is for you guys to to keep going and to keep plugging away. I mean, the fact of the matter is that you're in the top two or three teams in the country, and that's all the encouragement you need to get back in January, really. Absolutely, yeah. And each player individually and, 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 and with the new management, you know, they'll have to bring that extra 2 or 3% to their game and uh, keep improving and keep developing. And let's hope that there's not too much change and uh, people just take up the mantle that has been left for the last four years. And certainly this group of players, their hard work and their effort and, 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 and I suppose the crop that's coming along with them, there's definitely, definitely uh, of that winning mentality there. While Mio teams in the past have been labelled with this negativity in terms of um, not performing the big day, big day or the big stage, certainly these bunch of lads don't have any any baggage with them, and uh, I see no reason why. I suppose for the next couple of years we can keep doing what we're doing in Connacht and, and developing as a, a as a county. The players seem to have a, a good input into it and are, are really driving the thing forward. Would you expect yourself or any of the other senior players to be consulted in any way over the type of manager you want or the identity of the manager? I'm not too sure about that. To be to be honest, I suppose last time when they appointed James not many players had uh, had an input to it but um, you know you have to have faith in, in the county board and uh, and the selection committee that they'll put in place You said earlier in the summer Alan that there are plenty more years left in you is that how you're feeling at the moment? Yeah listen come come, come Christmas I, I'll just see where, where the mind and body is and uh, figure out you know what the, what this new manager wants and, and, and what direction he's going in so yeah listen there'll be no decisions made at all this year and uh, hopefully early 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 Christmas we'll know where, where we stand That's fair enough Listen Alan we really appreciate you chatting today and, and best of luck thanks for talking to us No problem Thanks 
All right, we're just about to wrap things up here, but there is some breaking news as we record, and that is that the IRFU and Leinster have confirmed that Johnny Sexton has signed a contract with the IRFU until the end of November 2019. So he rejoins Leinster for next season, 2015-2016. Uh, I'm just looking at the press release here, the usual stuff about his incredible achievements so far, some comments from Philip Brown. What's Johnny Sexton saying here, Murph? I'm pleased to be rejoining Leinster, the club where I started my professional career. I grew up playing my rugby in Leinster, always wanting to pull on the blue jersey, so I'm delighted to be able to return to play my club rugby in Ireland. Yeah, it's exactly as I called it a couple of weeks ago. Babysitting, this is what this is all about. <laughs> he, uh, Seth and his wife have a new child. They don't have any grandparents to mind this child so that they can go out and you know have some dinner and you know relax. Yeah. So it's the, it's the correct decision for everyone involved, with the possible exception of Johnny Sexton's parents who will now have to mind that baby else. Before we go Other than that though great news Good for news Ireland. for Irish rugby Ken who's going to win the All-Ireland hurling final this weekend And Kilkenny Murph uh, I know you're going to go for Kilkenny I, I, Well I've done it now you've done it for me yes I'm going for Kilkenny so I'm uh, going Henry Shefflin inspired Henry Shefflin yeah. hat-trick <laughs> from a starting position I'm going to say Shamie Callanan to lead tip to glory alright check out our website secondcaptains.com uh, Keith Kiernan was the winner of a second captain survival kit there by the way people were looking to find out who had won that one so well done to Keith he gets all the good stuff there and he also won himself tickets to the All-Ireland semi-final in the football so check it out and also follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. you can have a listen to the other Irish Times podcasts on irishtimes.com forward slash podcast pretty simple address there thanks Kieran. thank you Owen thank you Ken thank you Kieran, and thank you Owen thank you and thanks for listening enjoy a great weekend of sport take care That's the second time it's gone on. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.